From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Ezra Levant is standing by to discuss his new book, China Virus, how Justin Trudeau's pro-communist ideology is putting Canadians in danger. Coming up in hour two, crop circle filmmaker Patty Greer will be here. The summer of 2020 has been an interesting one in terms of crop circle formations, and Patty will give us an update. That's hour two. Why did Justin Trudeau wait so long to restrict flights from China? Why did his top healthcare bureaucrat tell us not to wear face masks? Why is there a loophole in Canada's quarantine laws for illegal border crossers at Roxham Road? Why did the Liberals gather up Canada's medical equipment and ship it to China as a gift? And why on earth did Trudeau give $838,000 to the Wuhan Virology Institute? None of these strange facts seem to make sense. China Virus is Ezra Levant's new book, and it documents the comedy of errors that allowed the coronavirus to spread through our communities. But it also reports, in meticulous detail, the Trudeau family's obsession with China that goes back to Pierre Trudeau's support for the communist dictatorship. And China virus warns that Trudeau, like his Chinese role models, is already trying to take advantage of the pandemic to seize further control in Canada, limiting parliament, restricting the media, and continuing the globalist agenda that got us into this trouble in the first place. Ezra Levant is a human rights activist, journalist, founder of Rebel News Network. His latest book is China Virus, How Justin Trudeau's Pro-Communist Ideology is Putting Canadians in Danger. Ezra Levant, welcome aboard. How are you? Well, very well. Thanks for having me. Before we delve into the into the book itself, tell me about the status of the book, because I know it was banned at one point by Amazon, and then the ban was lifted, and I don't know if there was a second ban. What's going on? Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, I wrote the book very quickly. In April, I wanted to get out my reactions to the pandemic in the middle of the pandemic. And we went to upload the book on April 23rd, if I am not mistaken. And we've done books with Amazon for years, best-selling books, most of them. So this was supposed to be as per usual, but they refused to upload the book. They wouldn't give details of why. They just said it contradicted, quote, official sources. But they never explained what that meant. The book doesn't give medical advice. It's not, you know, conspiracy theories about how the virus is came or or how to fix it. It's just a political book. It's a political book that talks about Justin Trudeau's connection to China. I mean, I talk about Dr. Teresa Tam, the public health officer. Anyways, for months, my lawyers kept writing to Amazon with no reply. And then suddenly, without explanation, they let the book go up for sale. Okay, well, it would have been courteous had they at least spoken to us. The book immediately roared up the bestseller list. I think it hit number two in paperback books in all of Canada and number one in ebooks. So this was a real hit. And then, just as quickly as they had permitted it, they banned it again with the exact same explanation again, that it contradicted official sources. Well, they had just said that, and then they had relented. So I was really confused by this and so were readers because we had shipped thousands of books and then suddenly it was canceled so i very quickly scurried to find a real bricks and mortar publisher and we started printing copies of the book and selling it off our website and then four days later 
I'm getting seasick from all these changes. <laughs> Amazon, again, without explanation, re-uploaded the book. So it was banned twice and unbanned twice. And to this day, they are still selling it, but <laughs> they have never explained themselves. They have never explained why they took it down or why they put it back up and why they did the whole thing twice. I take it as a badge of honor to be censored because that tells me I'm talking about things that are spicy and interesting. Right. No one wants to ban a boring book. Right. As a working journalist, as a veteran working journalist, have you ever witnessed anything like what's going on right now in terms of censorship and book banning and what's happening on social media, specifically regarding the coronavirus? Well, I have been in the middle of censorship battles for more than a decade. You might recall that back in 2005, 2006, a Danish newspaper published a dozen cartoons of the Muslim prophet Mohammed. Yes. And that caused riots and censorship and murders. And back then I published a small magazine, a, a paper magazine. This was before the internet was really huge. And I got hit with a human rights complaint from the Alberta Human Rights Commission. The Alberta and I Report. I fought it for three years. Yeah, well, it was called the Western Standard. Ah. That's what our little magazine was. And they investigated us and had a hearing, but then they dropped it before they made a ruling on it. They just dropped the case after 900 days of beating me up. But I felt like I won that battle. And shortly thereafter, the federal government repealed the censorship provision of the Federal Human Rights Act. So I didn't have a full hearing in Alberta. They dropped it before the full hearing, but they had their investigation of me. And one of the things I did back then, Richard, is I recorded the human rights censor interrogating me I remember about my that. book. Yes. And I put that on yeah, I put it on YouTube. And that was when YouTube was very young. Two thousand and eight was when I put it on the internet. And people weren't really used to blogs and YouTubes and PayPal and things like that back then. But that's what allowed me to fight back. The internet was the freest place in the world back then. Fast forward a dozen years, and the internet is not the freest place in the world anymore. It's in fact the front lines of censorship. And at least when I was fighting the Alberta Human Rights Commission, I could see my accuser face to face. I could see the government officials. I could hire lawyers. There was a process. Now, the censorship, as I described with Amazon, you don't even know who complained, what the complaint says. You don't know who is the judge. You don't have an opportunity to make a representation. It's all done secretly. Let me tell you one more thing I learned just a couple months ago, Richard. We talk about our foreign governments interfering with our elections. Well, I spoke with a young man who worked in Phoenix, Arizona for a large company called Cognizant. And they're a contractor of Facebook. Facebook subcontracts to them the censorship of Facebook posts. So they have 1,500 people working in their Phoenix operation alone, three shifts a day, censoring 200 posts per day each. If my math is right, that's 300,000 little acts of censorship a day just out of their Phoenix office, and he told me they had a special handbook for Canada, including what you could or couldn't say about Jagmeet Singh, what you could or couldn't say about political issues like immigration. So you have no appeal, you have no hearing, you have no rule of law. Facebook has subcontracted some factory in Phoenix to pump out 300,000 censorship decisions a day, and specifically to target in this case, Canada's 2019 election. So 
it's worse than ever, Richard. The censorship is worse than ever. Right. And yet they're dusting off the old playbook. It's Russia, Russia, Russia again. Here we go again for the 2020 election. And I noticed that Kamala Harris's former press secretary is now going to be in charge of uh, censorship on Twitter, which is a rather interesting development. I yeah, wanna, I mean, imagine yeah. if the shoe was on the other foot. I mentioned it was Trump's son-in-law who was now in charge of Twitter censorship. We'd see how unfair that is. So it is one-sided. But the fact that censorship happens at all is very concerning. Indeed. Indeed. I want to talk about something uh, that is a fairly recent development in terms of coronavirus in Canada, and that is it's most troubling. This is a contract that the liberal government has entered into with a vaccine manufacturer in China. I believe it's pronounced CanSino or CanSino Biologics. And uh, they are now beginning trial two, trial three stage development in conjunction with, I believe, a university in Halifax. They're going to be using Canadians as guinea pigs for this vaccine. And and this company has very close ties with the Chinese uh, army. It's so weird. Trudeau signed a contract on behalf of the Canadian government with this company. I'm not sure if it's CanSino or CanSino. First of all, to pay them. And they are affiliated with the People's Liberation Army. So we're literally doing business with the dictatorship's army over there to fund their vaccine. And Canada's role, besides giving them money, is to provide citizens in Nova Scotia to be the human guinea pigs for this Chinese-made vaccine. I mean, I suppose if you choose to do this with your eyes open, I don't suppose I'm going to tell you not to, but how is this a deal in Canadian interest? And by the way, It doesn't even give us guaranteed access to a vaccine if one is created. So I I have no idea why we're doing business with the Chinese military. It's a terribly negotiated deal, even if you want the deal. Would you take a made-in-China vaccine for this virus that was hastily rushed through with all the cover-ups and deceptions of this Chinese Communist Party? I wouldn't trust the Chinese Communist Party about anything, let alone anything related to the virus. The idea of jabbing a needle into my arm with some quickly cooked up Chinese vaccine, I, I just can't picture doing it. And yet we know that Trudeau has ordered 37 million syringes for Canadians, which just happens to work out one syringe for every man, woman and baby. I'm worried that the public health theater that we're all going through now is conditioning us for a mandatory vaccine. And I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I mean, I think that if you go in with your eyes open and if it's a well-tested vaccine that deals with a terrible, terrible illness. I'm supportive of vaccines. But this whole Wuhan virus has been so overblown. The death toll in Canada, I mean, we don't want anyone to die, but the annual death toll of flus and pneumonias is about 8,500 a year in Canada. Well, that's almost exactly how many have died from this latest virus. It is no out of the ordinary. It doesn't affect young people. The idea that there would be a mandatory vaccine rushed out hastily by China that we all have to jab into our arms because 9,000 people passed away is insane. It's not even actually a pandemic. If you are a senior in a senior's home with a do not resuscitate, do not revive order, yeah, I'd be terrified about this thing. But anyone else, anyone under 50, it's not even a thing. Right, right. I mean, how many many cases of H1N1 did we have? How many deaths? Uh, and, and yet we didn't suffer this self-inflicted wound of shuttering the economy, which may have, in fact, done irreparable harm. I can't imagine how we're going to dig ourselves out from a $350 billion deficit. Let's go back to February. 
This was another curious one where, although it was very early on in the game, I think Canada had yet to record any deaths from COVID-19. And in China, something like 14,000 deaths, perhaps. Canada suddenly decides to ship 16 tons of personal protection equipment, masks and gowns and so forth, to China. 16 tons. Makes no sense. This is really the thrust of the book. I call it China virus, how Justin Trudeau's pro-communist ideology is putting Canadians in danger. And I really look at the long-standing ties, or love affair, really, that Trudeau has with communist China. And it, that's the only way that makes sense, because remember, it's not just bizarre to give away our protection in the middle of a pandemic to the country that actually manufactures so much personal protective equipment. I mean, why would we send it back? Why wouldn't we keep our emergency stockpiles? There's a lot of questions of why we would give away our insurance policy anyways. But remember, China still has two Canadian hostages, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, who were illegally detained, held in conditions that can be equated to torture. The lights never turned off in their room. They were held without charge for more than a year. Why would you be so loving to a dictatorship that has kidnapped two of your citizens. Right. Why would you give away your good stuff? And it just never stops. And you'll remember that when Trudeau ran for the leadership of his own party, he was at a fundraiser, and he was asked, what country do you most admire? And he said, China. And there are many things to admire about China. I admire many things about China. I, I admire their history, their art, their food, their architecture, their language, their people. There's so many things to admire about China. But Trudeau didn't say that. He said their basic dictatorship. He used those words. I admire China for its, quote, basic dictatorship. The worst thing, the most odious thing about China is the one thing he loved. And it's not just him. His brother, Alexandra, Sasha Trudeau, actually published a pro-China book. That's fine. But who published that book? He could get any publisher in the world. I mean, you're you're Sasha Trudeau. You're the brother of... um, the Prime Minister, your personality in your own right. Who did he go to to publish that book? The Chinese dictatorship. They published it as a government publication. Pure propaganda, Alexander Trudeau, Justin's brother, his foreign policy advisor for his leadership race, published a pro-China book with the dictatorship. That's not even a book anymore. This whole family is in love with China. Right, There's right. nothing China could do to deter And And it, they, they come by it honestly. Their father, Pierre Trudeau, went to China during the Cultural Revolution, the Great Leap Forward, I mean, went to China during Mao's reign of terror and fell in love with the place, just like right. Pierre Trudeau fell in love with Stalinist Russia. It's, it's deeply troubling how into the Communist Party of China, Trudeau is. It's just like his love for Castro. It's very strange. Well, yeah, I want to delve into that, um, certainly as the hour unfolds. Uh, Ezra Levant is with us, of course, the founder of Rebel News and his latest China virus, how Justin Trudeau's pro-communist ideology is putting Canadians in danger. And you mentioned Michael Kovig and Michael Spaver, who are languishing in prison. Uh, it's it's going on two years, I think, now. Um, and also, there are three Canadian citizens that were recently sentenced to death uh, in China. And um, I, I don't know what the outcome of that will be. Um, but as you say, regardless, uh, Trudeau and the Liberals continue to cozy uh, up to the uh, the Chinese regime. Um, then there's uh, Huawei. Now, this isn't directly related to coronavirus, but it, it, it is... 
uh, a possible threat to national security, and that certainly poses a potential danger to Canadians. And and now Canada stands alone among the five eyes. This is this intelligence pooling agency, along with New Zealand, Australia, the United States, and uh, America, our, our staunchest allies. We stand alone in uh, not banning uh, Huawei uh, and their 5G equipment. Um, is this... Yeah, it, it's... Go ahead. I, I think it's a real problem. I mean, um, because of uh, China's totalitarian approach to the Internet, uh, I mean, they've had the great firewall of China for years. They they want to cut their people off from the world and use the Internet as a surveillance device. I mean, in the past, you had to plant a listening device on someone. You had to bug an office or a car. No need to anymore. People carry the listening device on them. It's called their phone. And so in China, they've per- perfected the total surveillance state where everything you do is connected. What you surf, what you read, your banking, your emails, it's all connected. And they have a system they call social credit. You get points for good behavior and demerits for bad behavior. So they need that total internet, cell phone, uh, financial transaction system to track you. So they don't have to plan a listening device on you. You've decided to carry it around with you. And under Chinese law, companies like Huawei and every internet company must allow a continuous, unfettered, total access to the People's Liberation Army and their security services. So anything that passes through China is lawfully, according to their dictatorship's laws, read, copied, databased by the Chinese police. So imagine letting a company rooted in China, their prized flagship company that, by the way, was built in part by hacking Nortel, Canada's once high-tech darling. Imagine letting them into your country, into your 911 phone system, into your, you know, automatic, uh, you know, driverless cars, into your every, and 5G, which will be a high-speed, high-broadband internet that will allow so many things like self-driving cars. Imagine if you gave that control to the Chinese Communist Party. That Why would you do that? And so you mentioned the five eyes. Those are the, the closest allies, Canada, U.S., Australia, New Zealand, U.K. We're the only country left that's still saying, yeah, we'll consider Huawei. It makes no sense. Um, and by the way, this is not a partisan thing. Of course, the Republicans are against this, but I, I might remind you that Susan Rice, who is Barack Obama's national security advisor, she met with the CBC and basically pleaded to the Canadian to Trudeau, don't do this. It's not a right-wing, left-wing thing. It's a why would you hand over all communications to China thing? Right, right. And then we have, I guess you could call them sort of the Huawei of airport security. And this is another Chinese government-owned firm. I believe it's pronounced Nuktech or Nuketech. Uh They were just given a $6.8 million contract to supply security uh, equipment, things like x-rays for Canada's embassies and consulates around the world. Again, uh, just a, a total uh, mind-blowing stunt, really. Yeah, I mean, I remember when the United States was building an embassy in Moscow decades ago, and they let Russian contractors do the work, and they had to demolish the embassy because it was completely riddled with listening devices, because obviously the, the Russian construction workers 
embedded those in the embassy. It was ridiculous that they didn't bring in American laborers. Um, imagine doing the same thing for all your embassies and our airports. There, there was that contract to a Chinese firm for that. Why would you invite a country that is your enemy? And by the way, that's not me casting aspersions. Xi Jinping, the president of China, says they are at war with the West. It's not a shooting war, although occasionally it becomes that. They, were, they had a skirmish with India recently. They threatened Taiwan constantly. They're using police in Hong Kong. They, they're threatening the South China Seas. But President Xi Jinping says he's at war with the West, war by other means, um, cyber attacks, industrial espionage. Imagine saying, hey, no problem. Why don't you, <laughs> why don't we put you, our self-declared enemy, in charge of our sensitive information and security? I don't get it. It makes no sense. China virus, how Justin Trudeau's pro-communist ideology is putting Canadians in danger. More when we come back. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Just a reminder, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. And it's real simple. All you need to do is go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and scroll down to the bottom of the page and you'll see Inner Sanctum. Just click on that. All you need to do is enter your email and voila, you're done. You will then start receiving Inner Sanctum delivered right to your email inbox free every month. I'm very proud of this newsletter. It includes what I call my monthly brief, which is an opinion piece, a column about whatever's going on in the world. And there's also a look ahead to an upcoming episode of The Conspiracy Show. There's a spotlight on a previous guest. There's a book club. There's my recommendation for my podcast pick of the month. I look back at the month in UFO or conspiracy history, and much more. Again, Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Subscribe at strangeplanet.ca. Just scroll down to the bottom, click on Inner Sanctum, and you'll be prompted to input your email address, and that's it. You are done. We're back with Ezra Levant, Rebel News. The book is China Virus, How Justin Trudeau's Pro-Communist Ideology is Putting Canadians in Danger. Right, uh, at least for now, it's available on Amazon. Maybe they'll go for the trifecta and ban it a third time. But uh, if people don't want to go through Amazon, you said that they could order it through the rep- the website. They go to rebelnews.com, I guess, and it's it, a link there. Yeah, we have a special website for the book called chinavirusbook.com. And we've stopped printing it ourselves now that Amazon is doing it because um, it's a little easier to handle the shipping and all that through Amazon. I mean, they really do take care of everything. And that's the problem. So many books are sold on Amazon. It has like 90% of the ebook market in the world, for example, that when they ban you, good luck. It's like being banned from the town square, banned from the English language. I mean, you can't do business if you aren't on Amazon. But uh, and, I, and by the way, I'm still curious who, what official it was that banned us. Was it an official of the Canadian government, an Amazon official, a health official, maybe the World Health Organization, maybe China itself? They never said who this official was. And since when can you not criticize or disagree with officials? I mean, if you go on Amazon right now, you can buy a copy of Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, or Mao's Little Red Book. Why 
did they feel that those are fine, but they had to ban this little book? I don't get it. Mm, interesting. You mentioned former liberal MP and ambassador to China, John McCallum. He was basically begging the Chinese officials not to hurt the liberals' chances of re-election. Was that the last election or the 2015 election? You know what? I, I think that was 2019. I'd have to double check. There's so many. I have half a chapter on John McCallum in the book. There's so many things about him that are a head scratcher. For example, when before he became, um, when he was in opposition there under Stephen Harper, um, he took $73,000 worth of free trips and gifts from the Chinese government. 73000 How many? How often was he there? And why would a foreign dictatorship believe he was worth that kind of investment. Um, By the way, it wasn't illegal for him to do that. He was proud of it. Uh, When he started talking about Canada-China relations, he said his motto was more, more, more. As in he would take any deal offered. He didn't care how lopsided or bad it was. Um, There was a moment there, like you can disagree with Donald Trump, and there's a lot of personality reasons that people don't like him. But at the end of the day, America is America, whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, a liberal or conservative. And Canada, the United States are close friends and allies. But but John McCallum, as ambassador, said this, and just think about this. He said that Canada has more in common with China under Xi Jinping than with America under Donald Trump. My he word. said that, and I think he believed it. But just put aside Trump. I mean, language, culture, music, history, law, sports, music, uh, food, uh, vacations. I mean, just in real life, it makes no sense. But morally and historically and culturally, he actually thinks a totalitarian dictatorship halfway across the world that treats its own people so poorly is more like us than America even if you don't like Trump. He believed that and he acted that way. And it's insane to me that we're actually still giving foreign aid to China. Either either the first or the second richest country in the world depends on how you measure. It has the most foreign currency reserves in the world. It is $3 trillion US just sitting in the bank. And we're sending them foreign aid. In fact, in March, Trudeau gave an $838,000 grant to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to do more research. Those are that's literally in the city of Wuhan. Why are we giving money to them? And why, it's just what foreign aid to communist China? I bet you most Canadians don't even know we do that. I I would uh, venture uh, to agree with you. Uh, it's I know. You know, I delve into conspiracies and and so forth, but it does it does have all the hallmarks of the the Manchurian candidate. Uh, I mean, is are the liberals alone in this? Are are there uh, you know the conservatives equally guilty uh, under under Harper under Mulroney? Did did we have these same sorts of the same sort of relationship with China, or is this is this unique to the liberals? I think every Western leader has been soft on China uh, because partly for good reasons. They were hopeful that China was reforming and becoming more liberal. And also because the business CEOs kept saying, oh, don't mess it up. We want to invest. We want to get rich off the Chinese market. And um, by the way, I don't know if that actually ever happens. I don't know if companies get rich selling stuff to China because China 
has a lot of tariffs on us. I mean, for example, there's a conversation right now, should we ban the Chinese app called TikTok? If you know anyone under 20, you know what TikTok is. It's like a karaoke dance music app. The kids love it. It's the number two most downloaded app in the world uh, on both iPhones and Androids. There's security issues with that app, but China has banned Facebook. China has banned Twitter. So why should we allow Chinese companies to get rich in America and Canada when they won't allow our companies to get rich there. But all these CEOs keep hoping, hoping, hoping they'll be able to sell to China and they have the ear of politicians. And, you know, I think the business community was blinded by money. And so they, between the business community being blinded by money and Chinese ambassadors saying, hey, we're slowly getting better, I think liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, everyone turned the blind eye. And it's only with Donald Trump uh, getting tough with China on uh, currency manipulation and one-sided tariffs and dumping products like steel and then this virus. I think finally Trump is calling out China and it's a good thing. And by the way, um, I think that Canadians would be shocked to learn that almost 90% of our medicine comes from China. So many important supply chains come from China. How do you feel about that? I'm, I'm not even talking about quality concerns. I'm saying from a security point of view, how do you feel about the fact that we have given a country that regards itself as war with, as at war with us, given them tremendous power over key industries? You know what Japan has done? The government of Japan has said to their companies, if you bring your factories back from China, we, the government, will actually pay the cost of moving back home. They think it's so critically important from a security point of view and financially that they think it's worth it. And I think the same is true. Why would we let China make so much high-tech stuff uh, from a security point of view? And, and what, can Canadians and Americans not make apples and Macintoshes and, and cell phones and TVs, or at least get it out of China, make them in Korea or Taiwan or India. We've got to be careful. I think in my book, I talk about three different approaches to China. How should we deal with them? Should we deal with them like we dealt with Nazi Germany? Should we deal with them like we dealt with Soviet Union? Should we deal with them like we dealt with South Africa under apartheid? Well, we can't go to war with China. They're a nuclear superpower. Uh, the Russian analogy is not bad, a Cold War, but the thing is we have so many economic ties with China that we didn't have with the Soviets. I think we have to take a little bit of the South African approach, which is we have to morally speak out, condemn China for its human rights violations, and extricate ourselves where we can. For example, why should the sons and daughters of extremely rich and corrupt Communist Party officials in Beijing why should they be sent to our universities, especially U of T and the University of British Columbia? Thousands and thousands of privileged kids of these dictators get to come to Canada for school. Why? I, Why I agree. I agree. Uh, I, I might take even a harder stance than than the South African model you propose. Uh, it might be a timing issue. We're not maybe prepared to take a truly hard line because our economies are uh, are linked. Uh, but you know, you you mentioned the human rights abuses and harvesting forcibly harvesting organs from political prisoners and running concentration camps. And I mentioned three Canadian citizens recently sentenced to death. 
and and the two Michaels continue to languish in prison. I I just think it's reprehensible that it seems to be uh, not only business as usual, but uh, they're putting their the, the liberal government seems to be putting their foot on the accelerator. Let's take another quick time out. We'll come back with Ezra Levant and uh, continue to discuss. China virus, how Justin Trudeau's pro-communist ideology is putting Canadians in danger. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with Ezra Levant, Rebel News. The book is China Virus, How Justin Trudeau's Pro-Communist Ideology is Putting Canadians in Danger. Let's go back to the late 90s. There was a, a CSIS investigation of this cozy relationship between the liberals and powerful people inside China. Project Sidewinder, I think it was around 97 that CSIS launched this investigation. Whatever happened to that? I think that for years we've known the Chinese government and Chinese spies have been active in Canada. Uh, I mean, more than a decade. I remember the head of CISA said there were, like a decade ago, said there were a thousand active Chinese spies here. And I think everyone was afraid to talk about it, partly because everyone was relieved the Cold War with the Soviets was over. Do we really need to get back into that stressful mindset? Can't we just pretend we don't see it? Partly, you could be accused of racism. And partly, like I say, there's so many people who said, well, you know, these foreign students, like there's a lot of... Uh, Chinese nationals who come here. I mean, I, I, there, there's different aspects to the Chinese threat. There's there's industrial espionage, there's military espionage, there's suppressing democracy activists, Falun Gong activists, Tibetans here in Canada. There's a whole bunch of different parts of it. There's the Confucius Institute, which is like a propaganda outfit of the, of the country. There's a whole bunch of things China is doing here, and. For so long, it was just easier to look the other way. I mentioned some of the reasons, but now China's baring its teeth a bit more. We see that with Hong Kong. Look how brutally they're under, undermining Hong Kong. So I think finally people have the courage to talk about it. Stephen Harper talked about it a little bit when he wanted to bring in rules, stopping the sale of the oil sands to Chinese state-run companies. But I think generally our spy agencies were under-resourced and were sort of told don't be politically incorrect. Don't talk about this uncomfortable subject. We, our official policy is, as John McCallum always said, more, more, more. So I think that police and, and CSIS were frustrated. And even now, yeah, I mean, to give you a small example, Francois-Philippe Champagne, Trudeau's foreign minister, until about a month ago, he had a $1.2 million mortgage with the Bank of China, mm. which is a state-run bank. And his excuse for getting that mortgage is so bizarre. He said, well, I had uh, a condo in London, England, and it was the only way I can get a mortgage. That's just not true. London, England probably has more banks per square foot than any other place in the world. And according to the amount of mortgages issued, Bank of China was ranked 53rd in London. Like you had to go through 52 other banks before you found something as obscure as Bank of China. Why would Francois-Philippe Champagne, Canada's foreign minister, take a $1.2 million loan from the government of China, really? And why would he maintain that? As an MP, as a foreign minister, he disclosed it, and no one said a thing. The RCMP were fine with it. CSIS was fine with it. Trudeau was fine with it. The Ethics Commissioner was fine with it. It wasn't until there was a news story about it about two months ago that he finally got a new mortgage. But 
that just shows that everyone thought, well, yeah, this is normal now. We're in the pocket of China now and don't make a fuss about it now. In fact, instead of complaining about Francois Philippe Champagne getting a million dollar loan from China, you should get one too. So I think we it's hard to get into a war-like footing. No one wants a war. But, but Xi Jinping says we're in war. Right, precisely. Um, I was mentioning Project Sidewinder, and uh, there were some concerns at that time about the, the cozy relationship between Power Corps uh, and a certain Chinese investment uh, company, which is alleged to have been been founded by by uh, basically Chinese mafia uh, from China and also uh, the mob in Hong Kong and and a power core of course one of the senior managers John Ray the brother of Bob Ray he was a a liberal campaign co chair and 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 Bob Ray uh, was interim leader at at one point. Um, do you get into power core at all and and uh, because that is is. That's a powerful, powerful uh, company in this country. Yeah. Well, uh, and of course, the head of Power Corps just happens to be the son-in-law to Jean Chrétien, the former prime minister. And of course, Chrétien was very friendly to China. And it was very unseemly, I think, that mere weeks after Chrétien stepped down as prime minister, I mean weeks, I don't mean months, he immediately went to work as a lobbyist for Chinese interests. And I've got to think he was thinking about that when he was still sitting as the prime minister. Like, you don't just suddenly become a Chinese lobbyist a few weeks after stepping down. Now, Sidewinder, I mean, that's that's 20 years old now. And even back then, winning influence with Canadian politicians, stealing high-tech secrets, laundering money, uh, the triads. So if that was a problem enough that CSIS and the RCMP were looking into it literally more than 20 years ago, well, imagine how far that is now, because not only is China so much richer now, there are so many more Chinese nationals here. And I'm not talking about people who are culturally Chinese who come here and want to be proud, loyal Canadians, love our freedom, don't like the dictatorship and really think of Canada as their home. I'm talking about people who are still controlled or operated or their heart is still back with the Chinese Communist Party. And unfortunately, that exists. So the problems in Sidewinder not only were not dealt with, but they're so far advanced. And imagine, forget about just little crime rings and money laundering. Imagine if you legally gave 1.2 million to the foreign minister and 73 grand in free trips to the to John McCallum. I mean, they're not even hiding what they do anymore. It's crazy. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Ezra, again, let us know how we can get a copy of China Virus. Thanks. Uh, you can go to chinavirusbook.com, and you can see the different links there, including Amazon. You can just go to Amazon directly. We're no longer selling it ourselves, uh, which we did briefly when the book was banned. But I recommend Amazon. It's probably the quickest, fastest way to get it. I want to go back to the coronavirus for a moment, and I'm remembering uh, comments by Health Minister Patty Haidu when reporters were questioning 
I guess our seemingly over-dependence on information coming out of China regarding the, the coronavirus, and she said something to the effect questioning China's coronavirus information is like promoting a conspiracy theory. Yeah. That was rather bizarre, too, and nobody seemed to follow up on that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, she was asked a question about how trustworthy is the Chinese info, and she pushed back so hard, harder even than the Chinese government, which has admitted uh, belatedly, that uh, that they weren't forthcoming. It was like the the Soviet Union covering up Chernobyl, how the Chinese communists covered up the Wuhan virus. But and the way she lashed out, and a few days later, a Chinese state journalist in Canada tweeted praise to her, uh, which is not normally what reporters do. But of course, if you're working for the state media in China, you're not really a reporter. It, it's propaganda. So. It's so weird to see the Communist Party praise Patty Heidi and other liberal politicians. You know, um, Canadian politicians should work in the Canadian interest. We don't really want foreign leaders to praise our people because uh, you start to think, well, why are they so happy with us? Did we lose out in some deal or negotiation? But when a foreign dictatorship heaps praise on your health minister... That's time to say, whoa, we're seriously off track if that's where we're getting praise from. I don't know. I just think that um, the real problem, I mean, Patty Heidi is eminently unqualified. The, the former health minister, Jane Philpott, perhaps the most effective cabinet minister in Canada at the time, she was sacked by Trudeau for, because she sided with Jody Wilson-Raybould over the SNC scandal. So he put in Patty Heidi, who, you know, I'm not disparaging graphic designers, which is what Patty Heidi was before becoming a, an MP. Um, it's not really a qualification. So I don't think Patty Heidi was a real decision maker, but Teresa Tam is. And I have a whole chapter in the book about Teresa Tam. She's Canada's public health officer. But at the same time, and talk about conspiracy theories being right out in the open, this is a conspiracy fact. During the entire time she's been Canada's public health officer, she has also worked for the United Nations World Health Organization, which is controlled by Dr. Tedros Adhanom, the Ethiopian politician backed by China. So it's a China-dominated UN agency that helped cover up the Wuhan virus in the early days. And Theresa Tam works for them. So if there's a contradiction in interests, if there's a conflict, how does Theresa Tam manage that? Who does she side with? Well, the answer is she has sided with the World Health Organization every step of the way. And that is not a Canadian public health officer. She helped uh, tow the World Health Organization line to Canada's detriment. She used the World Health Organization line that to be concerned about this pandemic back in January was racist. And I just don't know how you can work for a country and work for the UN at the same time because those are conflicting interests and she has been wrong on literally everything but I'll never forget the fact that her first response to the pandemic was to call people who were simply concerned racist even though by the way many of the early people concerned about it were Chinese Canadians because they were following the news back in China they were concerned they wanted some quarantines Teresa Tam called them racist I'll never forget that I'll never forgive that Right, right. Uh, and Derek Sloan, conservative uh, leadership candidate, took a lot of heat for suggesting that she should be fired. And he, of course, was also uh, labeled a racist for questioning her her loyalty. Um, 
I want to ask you about also the uh, the uh, banning of flights. Now, interestingly enough, Donald Trump took a lot of heat because very early on, he took a very proactive measure and banned flights from China uh, and uh, was roundly criticized by the Democrats for that, although um, Anthony Fauci later praised him, saying that that early action mm-hmm. probably saved, you know, who knows how many lives. Did Canada ever ban flights from China? No. In fact, every single day, flights from China have continued to arrive. And for about three weeks there, uh, at Rebel News, we sent our reporter, David Menzies, to the airport to greet the flights from China. It's very easy to do. There's four airports in Canada that take foreign flights now. Uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal. So take Toronto Airport. You just go to the arrivals. You can see Every single flight coming from China, they never stop. And what you can do is then type that flight into another website called flightaware.com. You can literally track the planes coming from China to Canada. They never stopped, not for one single day. And David would go every single day. And for months, he would ask people, did, was there any screening? Did you get your temperature taken? And they said, not only did they say no, but most of the passengers said, they wish they had. I remember some of the interviews he did. Um, one fella said he was coming back, I think, from Madagascar and it had been through four airports and everywhere he had a temperature screening except for Canada. Now, I think finally, now that it's August, <laughs> they're taking temperature. Well, the pandemic's over. Now, look, I don't know if quarantines would have stopped things or taking temperature would have stopped things. I got to think it would have slowed it down. But What's so crazy to me is that the pandemic peaked uh, mid-April, if you look at number of cases and number of deaths. So the first case in Canada was January 25th. It ramped up. Mid-April was its highest height. Then May it declined. June, July, we're in August now. It's over statistically. It really is over. There are provinces that don't have a new case for days running. Um, But only now we're bringing in temperature testing at airports. Only now we're bringing in mandatory masks. And I just don't get it. We didn't do any of, the, any of these things when the virus was at its, at its height. We're doing them now. And they're saying that the, va- the vaccine could be mandatory. Why is this all happening now that it's all over? This, that, I think, is the next chapter that's going to be even more interesting. How Justin Trudeau seized the power through this an- pandemic to, to violate civil liberties and spend money and tax and borrow in ways he never would have dreamt possible six months ago. Uh, well, is this going to be, this will be a, a final question, but do you think or do you uh, an- anticipate that the Liberals' handling of uh, COVID-19 will be an election uh, issue? And who knows when that election will be? Well, I don't think it's going to be because I haven't seen the other parties show any courage in criticizing Trudeau. A few things on spending and trying to seize powers in Parliament, but I haven't seen a general opposition to any of his lockdowns. And by the way, a lot of that's happened at the provincial level, too. I think politicians are terrified to speak out against anything because they'll be called, oh, you just want to kill people. Um, I mean, it's so easy to err on the side of overreaction and caution. Um, in the United States, there's more opposition to it. But if you look at the worst of it, I mean, Trudeau had one job, secure the borders. He failed. But the provinces and the cities 
are the ones who have these absurd lockdowns and mask bylaws. And um, you don't see a lot of opposition there. The mandatory vaccine, that's probably going to come from Justin Trudeau if it comes. I'm worried that we don't have a voice articulating a thoughtful response. I'm not talking about a knee-jerk response, opposing for opposing's sake. Just asking critical accountability questions. I haven't seen that during the pandemic, certainly not from the federal conservatives. I lean to the right, as you can tell, but I have not seen, other than Derek Sloan, who you mentioned earlier, I have not seen much criticism in the federal conservative party for how the government has handled things. And that makes me scared for civil liberties. How do we subscribe to Rebel News, Ezra? Thanks very much. Um, 90% of our videos are free. You can just go to rebelnews.com or go to our YouTube channel. We've got 1.35 million YouTube subscribers, so people seem to like it. For people who can't get enough, at rebelnews.com, you can subscribe to our paywall shows, which is like a TV-style show every night. So we like to tell the other side of the story. That It's a little bit like your show, to talk about things that are a little bit dissident, zig where the other guys zag. We believe that there's another side to every story. So we share that with you, and, and I'm so glad that you are one of the few voices willing to tell a contrarian story because I don't want a country made up of think-alikes. So I thank you for being a bit of a dissident and thanks for having me on today. Thank you again, Ezra. Thank you. Crop Circle filmmaker Patty Greer is next. Stay with us.